We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, Atlanta, GA, this is indeed the Run ATL Podcast presented by Big Peach Running Company. I am your host, Mike Cosentino. And once again, I am joined by my co-conspirator and our executive producer, Dolomite Dave Martinez. D2, welcome to episode number two. How are you? I'm doing good. And uh, yeah, it is our second episode. And of course, you know, I like looking at, uh, at at some stats and some metrics. And episode one, you know, we've had, you know, quite a few listeners. We've had, you know, about 116 and, you know, several of them, um, you know, across the country. So we're, we're national. You know, we got people listening in Oregon, Beaverton, Oregon, Oklahoma. Beaverton. We know who's out in Beaverton. Yes. About Nike. And maybe it was our conversation about breaking two last year or last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, we've got people in, uh, listening in Tennessee, California, Michigan. So, uh, but the majority right here from the Atlanta area. So thank you to everyone who's uh, been listening and supporting uh, by, by listening to the, the podcast and uh, hope you continue to you know, tune in every uh, two weeks. Excellent. Yes. And thank you very much. And even though it sounds like we've gone national, perhaps someday we can say we've gone international. This will always remain the run ATL podcast and and certainly even though this is only episode number 2 there is something else that has been going on much much longer that is certainly indicative of what run ATL really is and that is this indication of just neighborhoods and communities and families going out and getting the most out of a pedestrian active lifestyle and that was alive and well in Brookhaven this past weekend the Brookhaven Bolt celebrated its 10th anniversary and by all indications they had over 2,000 people registered this year. It's an event that Big Peach Running Company is incredibly proud to be a part of. We had a number of team members who participated. In fact, we also had one of our team members who was in a mascots uniform that did the entire 5K with the kids who are out there from Ashford Park Elementary. So such a special event and a great weekend in Brookhaven. Yeah, I mean, they do a great job, and uh, all the proceeds do go towards Asher Park Elementary, so it's a great, uh, you, know, um, you know, cause and, and benefits the local community, and it's great to see that uh, a lot of people come out to, to that race. It just keeps getting bigger and better every year. It does, and congratulations to all those finishers and, and for those who have been part of that race organizing committee. You have an event now that is more than 10 years is quite an accomplishment in its own right. We don't see that often enough where an event has those volunteers and those people who are willing to step in year after year to make sure all the details that matter so much are attended to and a great event is on tap. What else was happening this past weekend? Yeah, so, you know, um, if, if you're really into long distance, uh, Cruel Jewel 50 and 100 milers, we had several of our teammates that were out there and uh, congrats to them and everyone else that completed that uh, really tough course. It is a really tough course. In fact, it's one of the few UTMB qualifiers. If you've not seen or heard those four letters together, before, check it out. Easy to find online. It's an event in Europe. There are only a few events in North America that can be used as a qualifier. It's one of them. The 100 miler has over 33,000 feet of elevation gain. And of course, the same on the descent. The 50 miler, a little more than half of that. So it is not something that anyone would take 
too lightly if they're going to go out there. So, yep, congratulations to all of our teammates and everyone who found both the starting line and the finish line. Yeah, and since we're on that to- uh, topic of, uh, you know, just really ultra distance, one, uh, a name that always comes up in that community is Killing Journey. He's a phenomenal runner, professional runner. And on uh, May 21st, he summited Everest. So something he's been trying to do now for, for a while. He's got this whole project about summiting all these really high mountains. And uh, he did it in 26 hours. And just for reference, you know, he did it, one, without oxygen, without any ropes, without any support. And most people that, that summit Everest, it's four days. And that's with oxygen, with Sherpas, and, 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 and you know, it takes time and a lot of effort. And he was able to do it unassisted with no oxygen. And that is if they summit. As you mentioned, he had had a previous attempt that did not turn out the way he wanted. And there are people every year, despite what the cost and the danger is, that don't make it to the top. He does so fastest known time in 26 hours. And that's actually a perfect segue into our featured conversation for this episode, we had the opportunity to sit down with someone who many of you already know. If you've been around the local running scene for any time at all, you've heard this name. If you followed elite distance running for any time, you've heard this name. We sat down with Malcolm Campbell. And the reason that we did so, what we'll D2 touch on in just a second or two. But What those of you should probably know about Malcolm, if you're not familiar with him already, is this is someone who perhaps like Killian is just really, really special when you look back at his running career. Runner's World referred to him as a force on the US distance running scene for more than two decades. He's originally from Scotland and with his Scottish uh, descent, it allowed him to make not just a national team, but four different national teams. He's now a U.S. citizen. We'll touch on that in our interview, but he's been on the national team for Scotland, for England, for Great Britain, and of course for the United States of America. He has a USA Masters 10K title to his credit that he won in 2012. He's won the World Junior Cross Country Championships well into the past in 1989 and 1990. He's got 13 All-American honors from his time as a collegiate athlete. He has a personal best of 218 in the marathon. But the reason that we sat down with him was not because of all of his running accomplishments. One of the things that we encouraged you to do on the last episode was check out What's Your Excuse from Big Peach Running Company. It's super easy to find. Take our word for it. This is something that you need to see. All you need to do is Google Big Peach and Excuse. It'll pop up. You can find it on our website. Certainly, you can do the same on YouTube. But this is a campaign that means so much to us, and we're going to continue to find people that truly embody what it's all about. But Dave Martinez actually was kind of the man behind the scenes when it was all coming together. So D2, maybe an overview about what's your excuse and and why Big Peach Running Company elected to put it together. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's your excuse is is a campaign that we started um, because everyone has excuses. There's excuses of of why you're not running or why you can't run or why you won't even get up in the morning for various reasons. Um, You know, 
and it doesn't matter whether you're a new runner, a beginner runner, uh, an elite, we all have these excuses, but what we wanna do is highlight everyday people. And we've done it through some videos, we're gonna do it through the podcast, but we wanna acknowledge these individuals, the challenges that they've had, you know, how they've overcome, and then celebrate their accomplishments. But most importantly, we wanna inspire others. And I know that on occasion, I need that little bit of inspiration to hear someone's story and how they overcame their challenges to kind of push me over the edge and say, yep, okay, I can do this. I can get up to you know, tomorrow morning at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and get my run in or whatever it is I'm going to do. Um, or maybe sign up for that next race or, you know, increase my distance, you know, and meet the next challenge because, you know, there's doubt in me. So hearing these stories are going to inspire not only us, but others, hopefully to enjoy this pedestrian active lifestyle. That's, that's perfect D2. And, and with Malcolm, yes, we'll touch on his accomplishments and there was plenty of prize money. There were lots of national teams. There was world travel and all kinds of titles, both globally and, and here at home on tough courses like the Publix Georgia Marathon course. But what's more important is when you hear the story about him in the Olympic trials and, and what happened that's just unthinkable as he's in the last 5K or more recently a diagnosis that he is still managing alongside other things that are important in his life, it will indeed encourage you. So we'll be right back. And when we are, it will be our featured conversation with Malcolm Campbell. They're back. The limited edition Peachtree Road Race Run ATL will be available in stores and online starting June 1st. Celebrate our nation's independence and the world's largest 10K with these great looking shirts. New this year, we're offering a tea and tank printed on Mizuno Performance Apparel. Don't hesitate as these will go quickly. Hurry to your local Big Peach Running Company location or order yours online at bigpeachrunningcode.com. All right, welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast, D2. And I said we had a special treat for you in our intro with Malcolm Campbell joining us, and he is indeed here. He has become a special friend of mine and someone that many in the Atlanta area already know, and those who have followed distance running and elite running around the world, they have heard his name. So it's a treat to have you here, Malcolm. Welcome. Wow, what a welcome. I, I tell you, this makes me feel a more better now. So, and you can tell right away when I was when I was talking about the various teams that he had made to represent his countries, he is now a U.S. citizen and has been for how long? Whew. Six, seven years, something like that. Six or seven years. So we're talking to someone who has represented four different national teams. Why don't you give us a little bit of background? Instead of letting me do all the talking, we would just love to hear who you are, when you got started with running. I talk about the national teams. We know there's more to you than just that very cool accent. But give us a little bit of an idea of how this all started for you. Gotcha. So when I was 12 years old, um, anything my sister Angela did, I did. And she's older or younger? She's four years older than me. Sibling rivalry. So when, when she was 16 or close to 16, I was about 12, she um, became a very good 800-meter runner. And for anyone listening out there can relate, she ran 205.9 as a 16-year-old uh, um, wow. for 800. And so once again, whatever she wanted to do, I had to do. I had to copy her. I had to follow her. So I followed her to a local running club and... Uh, the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. It's been a, uh, a long history. When did you just start to realize this is a gift? This is something sure. that I can do really well. 
So my first race, I remember I came 47th in a cross-country race, the Wessex League in Weymouth. Remember it to this day, <laughs> 35 years later. So 47th place overall. 47th so that place. Probably, that moment of this is something I'm really good at might not have been there. It, it didn't happen then, but I did wear soccer boots or cleats <laughs> as you call them over here, shin pads. I think I still had them on and I'd played a soccer game that morning. So I was so grassroots, I didn't know what I was doing. And my dad at the end of it asked me, so how do you feel? And I said, well, that's, that's terrible. I'm not used to finishing so far back in anything. He said, all right, this time next year, you're going to come back and I expect you to do well. Whatever well is, that's what you're going to do. And that's the way he always talked to me. He pushed me hard, but at the same time, he was very fair. So, you know, one of the things that we've talked about as a responsibility on the Run ATL podcast is to share information but also to inspire and to empower others. And, and now you're that parent. <laughs> and before we dive deeper into some of your background and some of the accomplishments that you've had in and around the sport of running, let's look at you as a parent. And okay. knowing that there are plenty of parents who are listening to this, they don't have the elite background you do, but they can appreciate what your dad perhaps did sure. on that day, your first race. Sure. Now speaking as a coach, as a parent, and as someone who has seen running in all of its good and some of its bad, perhaps. What would you just say to all of us who are parents and want to make sure that we're saying and perhaps doing the right things for our own kids as they come around the sport of running? Sure. No, I think that's really important in today's age where many parents are making the kids do a sport that they don't necessarily love or care for. And I would always say, find out what your kid really wants to do and then push them in terms of excelling or to to really train hard in that particular sport or multiple sports i've always felt soccer was a great sport to get you going in anything i was a soccer player when i was young and it helps you of all sports but i also see kids out there that are doing some sports and they don't really enjoy it they're just doing it because someone's told them they've they've got to do it and i don't think in life in general you can ever do anything 100 percent well if you're not really loving what you're doing and so maybe the sport that they're doing currently isn't the sport that they really love, but there's something out there that they do. And tell them to follow their dreams. Man, that, that really hits home for me. And, and full disclaimer, Malcolm's son, Callum, and my daughter, Monica, are the exact same age and have developed a special friendship. And just to hear that from you, even though we know each other, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's a great reminder, I think, for me as a parent, I would imagine, for many that before we put what we are interested in and what we've even shown some capacity for. Sure. We need to recognize that our children are individuals and they'll come to their own interests and find out what they're really gifted at to some degree on their own with our encouragement without us steering the bus entirely, perhaps. Correct. That's, that's great. So now all of a sudden you've, you've got a father who's encouraging. You've got a sister who you're just committed to ultimately being better than. So you've got the sibling rivalry and the father who's going to help you get better now that you've said, I don't want to finish this far back. Gotcha. Take us to the next step on the journey. So the next year I went back to that same race and um, I guess I'm proud to say I was able to win that race. And I just figured out how to train uh, for that race. But going back to my sister, I think this is something that uh, up until this point in the speak, uh, you guys are not aware of. But when I went to my high school, it was a small high school, I looked at the court, the, the records on the track and field board, and all the records were A. Campbell. And I said, what? who's A. Campbell? And they said, that's your sister. I'm like, no, but this is the boys' board. And they said, yeah, she's got the boys' record for the 800, the 1500, and the 3000 meters. And I was like, wow, 
That's not so. Good. That's all around. It was boys, girls, she, didn't matter. She had, boys she had the fastest and times. Girls. And so she was very talented, and I don't think she really ever realized just how how good she was because she she finished the sport at sixteen. I'm afraid um, she just really did one or two years. But um, so when I, when I went to school, I had to break some of her records, which uh, you know, as a young male, it makes you feel pretty proud, I guess. But um, it was a it was a small school. So a small school it may have been, but it doesn't change the fact that as you progressed, you started going up against some big competition. Mm-hmm. When did you start to realize this is something that you could do on levels that were way beyond a small school? Gotcha. So I went to school in England um, most of my life. And in 1987, we had the English Schools Cross Country Championships in Preston, which was the flagship event it's kind of like the kinney and i know it changes its name now but the national high school championships and so i went there and i knew that john brown who later became a two-time olympian fourth place in two olympic marathons back to back i knew he was the the favorite so i knew i just had to go out guns blazing as fast as i could and i think i got into his head and uh ended up winning that race john was second and from that point on, I, I thought, well, I can do this. I can compete with the really good runners as long as I'm willing to sacrifice and train hard and do everything I needed to do to prepare me for the big day. Well, and, and obviously, you've already mentioned that now a U.S. citizen. Correct. Running is what brought you to the United States. But I think it's probably also brought you to realize a number of things about yourself. So before we go back into some of the results or maybe some of the achievements... At that stage in your life, let's. What is this? You're 18, 17? Right now? No, 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 no. I, I'd I'm, love I'm to. not going to pay you that compliment. <laughs> the voice and, and, and just the talent, I'll continue to sing your praises, but I'm uh-huh. not ready to suggest that you look like an 18 year old. No. But at that time, how old are you? What? what 16. 16. 16 so is a 16, 17 years of age. What else are you learning about yourself? If we think again about those who are out there, maybe they're 16 or 17, or just those of us who know 16 or 17 year olds. Sure. What is it that the sport and the competition is teaching you that you still remember? Sure. Um, I'm going to answer that with a situation. The other day I was in uh, my wife's practice and uh, this little girl came in and I was just so taken back by how this little girl who was 12 years old was so mature. She was so confident. She, she had really good self-esteem. And when I said to her, you know, to her parents, I said, how does this little girl have so much confidence? And she said, well, she loves sports and she loves to compete against her, her family and, and siblings and parents. And it pushes her. And I thought, looking back at my life, I think that's really what helped me because a lot of my friends were people who smoked cigarettes or did all sorts of unsundry things. And they just, it was just hanging around the wrong people. Whereas I had to train. I had to keep out of mischief by by going to practice right after school and it gave me the confidence that I could really do whatever I wanted to do if I worked hard enough at it because I don't think I was really naturally talented I just think I worked really really hard which is a great lesson for all of us and how about that word unsundry unsundry things d2 we got to figure out a way to be able to kind of weave that into different places that we're with the uh, same type of audience and, and say it with the same accent. That's, oh, that's pretty you cool. Go. You were doing unsundry things or others around you were doing unsundry things. And you mentioned, you mentioned that there was just this desire to perhaps not fall into that because what running had become to you. Correct. And I will say this, and, and I know we're hugely biased at Big Peach Running Company. 
we've been around student athletes who have plenty of talent and a lot of different activities. It is amazing to me, and I was not on the cross country team when I was growing up. It just wasn't a thing. I didn't get into running until I was into my 20s. At the same time, the student athletes who we've had the good fortune of serving in our stores who are on the cross country team, some of the most respectful, enjoyable, pleasant, well-spoken, enthusiastic young men and women that I've been around anywhere. So I can tell you it's not just in England or Scotland where that's the case. I doubt it's just cross-country. I'm sure it's not just cross-country in and around the Atlanta area. So it's cool to see that that type of discipline that's required to compete, even at that age, is something that carries over to their entire life and who they are and kind of what they think about very seriously. Okay, so you're 16, 17, you're getting Mm -hmm. that real exposure to your talent and some of the teams that you're going to be in a position to be part of because of the times that you're turning in. Mm -hmm. What happens next? How do you turn that in to what ultimately becomes the opportunity to come to the United States? Sure. So at 18 in Britain, you become a junior, which is the next level before you become in a senior or open male division. And as a junior uh, at 18, I won the free A's, which is the national championships, indoor, 3K, and outdoor 5K. And by doing that, you used to get your results in a magazine. It was before the internet called Athletics Weekly. And that's where the, the colleges over in America used to subscribe to that. And that's where they would get to know the talent that was in Great Britain in particular with this magazine. And so uh, some of the people that I raced against were in college in America. So obviously that, were, that enabled them to find out about me from racing against people that they knew and they knew their ability. And obviously you turn in those kind of times mm-hmm. and you get a lot of attention. Sure. Ultimately elected to come to school. Yep. Went to school in Kansas. Correct. Went to school in Florida and ended up here in the Atlanta area. Correct. Here's the thing that I think it's important to know because we could talk about times. 13 All-American honors in your collegiate career. Correct. My guess, knowing your work ethic and seeing all the things that you're involved in as this mature adult is that you are also a good student. Well, first of all, I don't know how mature I am as an adult, but um, I was a mature student athlete back then, and I used to want to do any event that I could possibly do. So some of those All-Americans, one was the marathon, um, 5,000, 10,000. I think I also got one in uh, 3,000 meter indoor, 5,000 meter indoor. I I really wanted to do the 4 by 400 meter relay, but I wasn't quick enough. Uh, I would do basically anything. I did the steeplechase, even though I'm vertically challenged and can't hurdle for anything. Um, so whatever the event was, I, I took it as a challenge to try to do. So vertically challenged, and Malcolm is is so good at, at, at being uh, both humble as as well as maybe a little uh, self-depreciation that uh, he'll extend to <laughs> all of us. I'm not particularly tall. On a good day, I'm 5'8". Really good day. On and a, I think I've got you beat. On a good day... I'm 5'4 to 5'5. I keep telling my wife I'm 6'5, but she doesn't seem to buy into that. <laughs> but it makes it makes it matters not, right? She's she's still with you all these years. My yeah. guess is there are other considerations about who Malcolm is and how he trains that far outweigh uh, the height when it comes to Ishmay being able to tolerate. Maybe she feels sorry for me. I'm not sure what the reason is, but we'll Well, and, and I know just from knowing you that you met your wife. 
mm-hmm. when you were competing at an incredibly high level, and she sure. became someone who was really part of your team sure. to ensure you were healthy. Sure. The first day I ever took her on was the uh, elite dinner at the Peachtree Road Race at the Ritz-Carlton. Of course, I mentioned to her, hey, you want to go to the Ritz-Carlton and have dinner? Which she probably thought that I was a pretty extravagant type of boyfriend taking her to the Ritz. <laughs> when it really was the Peachtree pre-race dinner. Um, and But yes, she's very talented at what she does. She kept me healthy for many years. And um, she's commonly called the torturer. But uh, as athletes, we like to get that kind of treatment. So. For those who do not know who his far better half is, and I can say that with him sitting right next to me, Ishmael Campbell and Campbell Family Chiropractic has been doing amazing work, not just on elite athletes like Malcolm for many years. They've been an alliance partner, Big Peach Running Company, and some of the work that she's done literally has kept some of our clients and some of those who we call guests in our store right now on the roads and very enthusiastic about their fitness prospects when there were times when they didn't know whether they would go for a walk or run again, let alone perhaps be able to do it where they would be at a starting line at some point. So Ishmay, nice work. I don't know if we're going to be able to solve the five foot four, but certainly (laughs) she's done a lot of good work, work otherwise. So as we get through college and what have you, one of the things that we mentioned before we made the mic hot, as D2 says, was with a campaign that Big Peach Running Company is doing, you came to mind not because of all of these accomplishments, but a story that you told me. You and I were out running in Blue Ridge, and I knew your background, and it was kind of interesting for me to be running with this guy, just having a conversation instead of thinking about how far behind will I be by the time of whatever uh, it is when this is, is over. And you told me about your Olympic trials when you were at the London Marathon. And I think about what's your excuse and when an excuse could come charging to the forefront and we just say, that's it. The results were not what I expected. In fact, I couldn't have written a script that way. And then last week, D2 and I talked a little bit about Iliad Kipchoge, his effort at breaking two and coming up 25 seconds short. Again, your story came powerfully to mind where I'm like, wow, this is a little bit but without the same consequences, without so much on the line as Malcolm when he was at the Olympic trials. Sure. As a setup, would you just kind of take me and take our listeners back to that Olympic trials for you? Sure. So it really started about a month before I went to Hamilton in Canada for the Around the Bay 30K. And I went up there and there were four guys running together and we all ran like 135 which for a marathon really puts you on place to get the A standard and way under the A standard. So I felt that it was certainly on the cards after that race. We all finished within a few seconds of each other and all three out of the four qualified for the trials or for the team that year. And of course, you can guess who the one that didn't was. So what happened in London, um, back then they used to start the wheelchair races uh, shortly before the elite runners. And we caught a couple of the elite wheelchair riders Um, In one particular area, I was coming up to a roundabout and I tried to pass a wheelchair racer and unfortunately I didn't make it and he had nowhere to go and we both collided and uh, the result was a fractured kneecap for me and this was with about a little bit over 5k to go and unfortunately I didn't qualify for the team that year. Uh, But as I do everything in life, I typically just looked at it and said, you know what, it it is what it is, time to move on, try to qualify for the 10K on the track, and and so that's what I did. So you're 22 miles plus in to full marathon. 
one of the most well-recognized marathons in the world in London. Correct. And you're up at the front, rightfully, not because that's what your pace alone has dictated, but because this is the trials. You are one of the favorites for sure to make the team. Um, I felt like I was. And um, the funny thing that year is we didn't take free runners, so I didn't have to beat anybody because they only took two. It was just a case of beating the A standard. And uh, unfortunately, after the fall, I just couldn't put a whole lot of weight onto that knee and subsequently couldn't make the time. And what time did you finish with the fractured knee? So I actually slowed down significantly because it was still, you'd be amazed at how much you can slow down on the last uh, three miles. But I was right at 218. Um, I was on pace at the time to go high, 212, 213. Uh, The qualifying time was 214. So yeah, I felt like I had a really good shot at it. I was under pace. All I had to really do is keep running the same pace that I was going and I would have been well underneath it. So let's just take a pause. And I know we mentioned it at the onset. Let's just let this sink in. A 218 marathon with a fractured kneecap, the last 5K plus. Correct. Just let that sink in. And what we mentioned in the intro, but let's, let's I, want to, I want you to say it. <laughs> Give us your marathon advice in terms of just running a PR. Your marathon PR is... So I've, I only ran 218 a few times. I just never got it right. At the time, I was a very immature runner, and I just ran as hard as I could, as long as I could, and saw what happened. So to give you the best advice is you've got to run even pace. I don't care if you're looking to run a four-hour, five-hour, six-hour, or three-hour. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And so consistency is everything. I would go off way too fast, blow up. Uh, Anyone that's run a marathon has heard that story a multiple amount of times. I felt really good until 20. Well, guess what? It's not a 20-mile race. It's a 26-mile race. So you have to run with the idea of, here's how I'm going to get to the finish. Divide that into maybe uh, shave off a little bit of time uh, in the first or second half, depending on how fit you are. But you've got to run close to even. So he mentions 218, and he, he almost says it apologetically about 218, but that is super fast. But the two words, even pace. Correct. That is something that we need for any distance, I would imagine, to be somewhat mindful of. Absolutely. And how has that translated then once you went from the marathon and realized, okay, that's not in the cards for me. Mm-hmm. You started doing distances of other kind. You've now right. done ultra distances. You have done a variety of things on the world circuit that had nothing to do with the Olympics. Correct. Outside of even pace and all of those events, what are some other tidbits or nuggets that you would give us just from a training perspective? Um, th- there's really so many. I think you've got to treat your body to what you want it to accomplish. So whether there be more stretching icing, just the little things, nutrition, all of those things are just so important. And as a mid 20 year old, I never really paid a whole lot of attention to them. I craved food, so I added a lot of carbohydrates, but I didn't understand why I needed carbohydrates. And so that's really the important thing I feel is understanding the why, not the what. Understand understand the why and then with your body and, and, and we think about Segways, and you couldn't have set this this up. And I don't want to go too fast into what I believe is another really, really ideal connection to what's your excuse. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I learned about you, and, and now is relatively public for people who know you or who have followed you, that you were diagnosed in 2014. Mm-hmm. I believe so. With hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Now I'm not gonna be able to say it with the cool accent that you have, but did I get that right? You did get it right. 
and tell us a little bit about what hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is. Sure. So for many, many years, I knew that I had an arrhythmia in the heart. And for many people, an arrhythmia is not anything to be worried about. It's a very, not usual, but a lot of people have an arrhythmia. The way it started to manifest itself with me is I would do some hard workouts and I would literally faint um, either just after the workout or uh, after cooling down or whatever it may have been. And for probably 10 years, I just ignored it. I just said, you know, it's, it's hot outside today, talking about excuses. Maybe I haven't had enough electrolytes in my body. And all of that was true. However, it was exasperated by the condition that I had or maybe I exasperated the condition I had by not doing those things. So going back to how you prepare your body, you've got to make sure that you're putting the right fuel in it, you're taking the right recovery fluids after the race, you're making sure you've got a healthy diet. All of these things will, if you don't do them right, lead to a condition I've got. One thing my cardiologist asked me is he said, so what did you used to eat before running? And I've ran over 100,000 miles and I can count on one, two hands maybe the amount of times I've eaten before running. And so obviously going out running a 23 miler on a Sunday morning, going to church, so you're in there for an hour or so not eating, and then maybe you watch an NFL football game on a Sunday and then you think of eating at one or two o'clock in the afternoon. It's very harmful. Very convicting for some of us who are always on the go yeah. and our nutrition is really as it comes as opposed to something that has been designed strategically for the day or for the week or quite frankly for yeah. our for our training. So with this condition and, and understand when we say 2014 was the diagnosis, one of the races that certainly is, is very near and dear to the heart of Big Peach Running Company was the inaugural ING Georgia Marathon in 2007. Now it's known as the Publix Georgia Marathon and Half Marathon that the Atlanta Track Club has. And in 2013, you won that race. You won the full marathon in 226. Yes. So certainly a few minutes slower mm -hmm. than your marathon personal best. Sure. But for anyone who's done the half or the full, and I would imagine there are a few people who are listening that have done that course, that is not child's play, that course. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hilly. So you do 226 mm -hmm. in March of 2013. Yep. 12 months later, you have this diagnosis. Correct. How do you adjust to going from le running at that level to having this be something you have sure. to be mindful of every time you lace up your running shoes? Uh, one thing that I've always been good at understanding is what I can do and what I can't do. It, uh, I, I guess when I was 18, I wasn't good at the what I can't do. I would try to do everything. But as I've got older, I've become someone that's just said, okay, this is what I've got to deal with. This is how I need to adjust. And so subsequently, I did do that marathon, the Publix. I did Boston about three or four weeks later. And, and I noticed that the recovery was getting... Uh, much more difficult and so when I got diagnosed in some ways it wasn't a surprise but the doctor said to me this is your new normal and I just took that on and he said if you want to be here for your family you're going to have to adjust to the new normal and that's my mindset and so I know very clearly now what I can and can't do um, and I know what would put me in danger of, of not being able to be around for my family and I'm not willing to do that so I'm very fortunate. I look at it the other way in that, what can I do? Well, I can still run pretty much every day. I ran 10 miles on Saturday morning um, with a group that, that runs in Atlanta and felt real good. 
that's what my new normal is, and that's what it needs to be. And what kind of pace were you running with this group on Saturday? Um, we were probably running about 7.30s, which um, obviously I used to run really nothing over like a 6.20 pace. So it's significantly slower, but I can do that now. And it's funny because you still have challenges. Uh, you still have competitiveness. They're just different than they used to be. So now my goal, I have a certain amount of miles that I want to run a year, I have a certain amount of time that I want to be able to run in a safe manner, but not, I, I just can't run 100% like I used to. Well, on that focus that you have on other things, and of course, I've got the good fortune of knowing your family, certainly that is is worth making the right decisions for, and, and you've shown that you'll continue to do that. And the other thing that, that I've come to see with you is it hasn't changed your drive. Correct. So for those of you who don't know Malcolm outside of the running, he's a financial analyst. As almost a hobby or perhaps some might say a moonlighting gig, he's a real estate agent. And he is a coach where he's yep. got a number of athletes of a varying amount of degree in whatever they're pursuing, both in distance and the pace or the accomplishments that they're hoping to put on their own docket. How do you keep all of that in line and run. I mean, it just seems like an incredibly busy schedule sure. and being able to recognize that your excuse could be, if I cannot run at my potential, then I don't want to do it at all. Mm -hmm. And then conversely, on the other side of the fence, you could easily be that person that says, I'm not going to do it at all because I'm so busy already that I don't need it. Sure. So how do you get it all to work as well as what it seems like it does? I think that my greatest strengths has also been my greatest weaknesses and vice versa in that I think that the way that I trained incredibly hard for many, many years led to this condition a little bit and led to me to need to, to adjust what I do. But I just can't be bored. I'm not someone that can just sit around and not do anything. It, it just makes me very frustrated to be able to do that. Well, you mentioned NFL football games yep. in terms of when you might eat. My guess is you don't watch a lot of NFL football games. Maybe a few Chiefs games yep. here and there. I'm in fantasy football. Okay, so um, maybe... Baseball, but while I'm watching a baseball game, I'm writing up coaching schedules. Uh, while I'm watching a football game, um, I may be planning uh, a family vacation or what I'm going to do next. I'm, I'm just never really sitting around, and that's just not my nature. And for someone who may not be just wired that way or has not been so predisposed to that type sure. of lifestyle. What what kind of advice might you give D2 and I, and what sure. kind of advice would you give others? Well, the good thing with running is that everybody can be successful. It doesn't matter if that means making an Olympic team or finishing your first 10K. Um, I've got a, a friend of mine called Stephen who, I, I'm not saying anything negative about him, but Stephen was, was someone that carried a, a lot of weight. And he's change his whole life around now and he's training for a marathon and if you had told him two years ago he would be training for a marathon no one in their right mind would have believed him there's just no possible way now he's doing it gradually he did a 5k first of all he's just done a 10k and next is a half marathon but he is such an inspiration because he is doing something that his body quite frankly is not meant to be able to do but he's refusing to accept that excuse and he's doing it and he's getting it done um, and I don't think he really realizes just how impressive that is. And I think that's something that we need to be mindful of, all of us, that there are others who are watching. And when we make good decisions and when we go after it, and whether we're successful or not, 
There are people who are going to take cues from us that are going to inspire us. This is an individual who you know who is just getting into this routine, who's inspiring an elite level athlete, who's inspiring somebody who's been around the world in running, yet he's inspiring you. And, And Malcolm, I will tell you, you inspire me. Awesome. And I know you've inspired many people for a long time, and that will continue to be the case. I think about what it would be like to have been in your shoes, and there are parts of me that's like, wow, how cool would that be to be on a national team? Sure. To be able to have met some of the people that you've met, to be able to have gone to some of the places you've gone. But then I think about those shoes and I think about what happened in London and how much I might have poured into, gosh, this is my opportunity to go to the Olympics. And if it doesn't come back around, what kind of person would I have been afterwards? Mm -hmm. I think about the diagnosis and the cardiomyopathy, wondering how I would be each morning with my family, with my team, with myself. And the way that you are with these things as part of your past living out that there are not excuses that you are not willing to conquer is something that I know I take with me. Sure. That I am better for being exposed to because of you. And I am absolutely certain that there are going to be many more people who you influence, even though the running may not be the headline for who Malcolm Campbell is. So thank you for being part of this this afternoon. And thank you for everything that you're doing for so many. Absolutely. Man, D2, what... A special dude. That was super cool. We could have talked to him for hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the conversations we were talking about off mic, um, you know, it was just kind of like the curtains got peeled back from uh, and a peek into the elite and professional runners world, running world. And, and for those of you who are just getting to know Malcolm from our time together here on the Run ATL podcast, or perhaps have not connected with him in a while, go to campbellrunning.com. That's C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L running.com. And I found that most professional runners are, are very generous with their time, and certainly he's no different. So check out his website, send him a note, and I can promise you that, that you'll be glad that you did. But we're not done yet. That is not all for the Run ATL podcast with this episode. In fact, after the break, We have some more trail talk that's absolutely worth knowing, and we will do our podcast payout. In the meantime, remember, we designed this podcast, the Run ATL podcast, to be something that is easy and enjoyable to listen to while you're running or while you're walking or while you're working out. So here in our brief absence, here's to your next rep or your next couple of blocks or your next few hundred meters. We'll be right back. Celebrate our nation's independence with the limited edition Petrie Wave Rider 20. Whether you run down Petrie Road on July 4th or need some cool kicks to show your American pride, these shoes from Mizuno will turn heads everywhere you go. Don't delay as they are going fast. Come into any Big Peach Running Company location or place an order online at BigPeachRunningCo.com. The limited edition Petrie Wave Rider 20 will start shipping on June 1st. Big Peach Running Company is proud to be the exclusive run specialty store of the AJC Petrie Road Race, where you can pick up all your race day needs and official licensed merchandise of the AJC Petrie Road Race. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. And this is the part that we call worth knowing. It's our opportunity to tell you about some special things. And this time we're going to connect it with our podcast payout. We got a question. Do I need 
trail shoes. And that ties in perfectly with the fact that at the onset, we talked a little bit about Cruel Jewel and the amazing feat of Killian Journey in Nepal with Mount Everest. So do I need trail shoes? And the answer is somewhat individual as each person might be a little bit different in terms of what they want their shoe to feel like on an off-road environment. But there are four things that distinguish a road shoe and a trail shoe. Those components in a trail shoe that do not exist in the road counterpart are these. First of all, the most predictable, the midsole is going to have some componentry that is not in a road shoe. Yes, it's gonna give you all the cushioning and the protection from impact you need, but there's also gonna be a sheath or something with a very cool term like ballistic rock shield or stone guard that's gonna prevent against something that might be called stone bruising or those indications when even if a rock doesn't physically come through your shoe, you can feel it kind of protruding and where it creates some discomfort in your heel or in that metatarsal region right behind the two toes. Also, not surprised to know this, trail shoes are gonna have a much more aggressive outsole to add some traction that you don't need on the road, but you certainly can appreciate on the trail. There's also a part of the shoe that some would take for granted until they put it to use, and that is a bumper, a toe bumper or a reinforced material at the most forward part of the shoe. You're not gonna run into a rock or a root when you're headed down the sidewalk, but it can happen off-road. And when you bang your toes into something that is on that off-road surface, you're gonna be happy that you have this reinforced material at the front. And then lastly, most trail shoes are gonna be woven more tightly than what their road shoe counterparts are. This is just gonna keep dust and debris out of the shoe itself so that your feet can remain without the dust or other things that when mixed with materials, whether it's your sock or moisture, are going to create a discomfort then will not be there because of that tightly woven upper. So those are the four differences between a trail shoe and a road shoe. Ultimately, you're the expert as to whether or not it's something where your trail conditions suggest that or how you like a shoe to feel would suggest such. But we believe that is absolutely worth knowing. D2? Yeah, so you know, there's lots of great places to go trail running. Obviously, North Georgia mountains with some spectacular views and some very technical and challenging courses. But you don't have to travel all the way up to North Georgia if you want to keep things a little bit more local. Within 30 to 45 minutes of downtown Atlanta is the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area. One of them specifically is going to be the Soap Creek and Cochran Shoals area. A lot of people are familiar with what's referred to as just the river, which is just this crushed gravel, you know, 5K you know uh, type of path where a lot of people go out there. It's the flattest part I think you can run in Atlanta but if you want to venture and really experience you know some trail running Soap Creek and Cochran Shoals a great place to, to kind of go and add anywhere from three miles or probably up to you know 18 miles depending on how many laps or loops you combine um, and it's a very well marked you'll find um, you know maps at every intersection so to get more information and just you know more from uh, you know on the Chattahoochee River National Recreational Area go to mps.gov and search for uh, Chattahoochee. Um, I also, I would be remiss if not mentioning as far as since we're on the subject of trail shoes is that Big Peach Running Company does offer a, a ongoing promotion on trail shoes, especially for those of you that run roads who are wanting to getting into a, a trail shoe, you know, if you buy a road shoe, you can save 25% off on the trail shoe when you combine the purchases together. So um, buy them at the same time, save 25% off the trail shoe. 
That's that's a great reminder, D2, and I love the fact that you brought up the website and the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area. It's amazing to me how many times I speak to someone who does have interest or perhaps is already doing a little bit of trail running, and they don't know how extensive that network is. There are trails that are part of that recreation area up and down the Chattahoochee River, and because it is multiple units from as far north as closest to our Suwannee store to pretty far south that's not far from Midtown or even Brookhaven, you'll find a place that especially on weekend you can get to in 10, 12, 15 minutes. That's a great reminder. Another thing you mentioned, you don't always have to go all the way to North Georgia, but for those of you who like those one tank trips, like to do day trips, or might do a little bit of camping, here's a little tidbit that I also believe that is worth knowing. National Geographic puts maps together for all the national parks and the national recreation areas and the national forests. The two that are most relevant to those of us in the Atlanta area, map numbers 777 and map number 781. Those are going to have all the trails in North Georgia, southeastern Tennessee, and western North Carolina. Whether it's a hiking trail, whether it's a forest service road, it has everything that you would need for hiking, for trail running, for mountain biking. So check those out. I'm sure you can find them online. We'll put a link on our show notes for those. So D2, that's going to do it for us. But we've got one thing that we've got to leave you with before we sign off. The podcast payout. We're doubling up. That's right. Last time we gave you an entry to the AJC Peachtree Road Race. This time we're doing the same, but this is episode number two, so we're going to double down. We're going to give you two great 10Ks just to send us a question that we would select as one that's worth knowing and that becomes the podcast payout for you. Here are the two 10Ks. Yes, the AJC Peachtree Road Race remains one of them, a July 4th tradition. If you're not signed up or you know someone who needs an entry, this might be the easiest way to get one. But we mentioned on the last episode one of our favorite races at the Chattahoochee Nature Center, the Possum Trot, and this year it's on June 17th. It is one of our favorites. They love the fact that we refer to it as such. They gave us an entry to give away. So now you send us a question that is selected for the podcast. We're going to send you not one, but two free entries to world-class 10Ks. One on June 7th at the Chattahoochee Nature Center, the Possum Trot. One on July 4th, the AJC Peachtree Road Race starting again at Lenox Square. That is quite a deal. That, that's a great deal. I mean, the uh, Possum Trot is a flat and fast course. It is indeed. But that's the finish line for us today, y'all. But we are certainly not done. Join us every two weeks for the Run ATL podcast. And we certainly would appreciate if you tell your friends about it. Heck, share the link. They will appreciate you for doing so. And we appreciate you for spending this time with us. Again, a special thanks to Malcolm Campbell. We really appreciate him and we appreciate his heart and all he is doing. We also probably ought to send a shout out to Killian Journey for keeping us all humble about our own adventures here in Appalachia. And certainly before we go, we hope you are just now applying the finishing touches to your own satisfying fitness session. For now, yep, it's so long, but certainly not for too long. On behalf of Dave Martinez, this is Mike Cosentino once again suggesting that your best miles are always those covered on foot. Oh, 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 o